welcome back to Unplugged. We are seven and three. We're still in fifth position after a tough slog win over the Gold, uh, the Gold Coast Giants, the GWS Giants in Sydney. We got one more game before the bye, so we'll get into that. We are without Darren Parkin tonight, uh, as you can tell by this horrible intro. We've got Phil Daladakis stepping in once again. H. Aaron McGrath, what did you make of that uh, ugly game against the Giants? Uh, did what we had to do. That that was that's pretty much the best way to sum it up. Um, with a few players not there, if we didn't have them, I think we could have been in a fair bit of trouble. Um, we've yeah managed to have, I guess, the our keys step in and step up, and yeah, got us over the line because it's it's they're not the worst team going around, that's for sure. And yeah, we basically. If you look at how how it finished up, we've pulled out a two goal win with one of our defenders slash um, part time midfielder stepping in and kicking two goals. It's yeah something that we sort of I guess have got away with a little bit in if you look at it in some aspects. Um, it's as I say not the best football. I mean the the ground condition probably didn't help a lot with it because that I mean it was only a few weeks ago as I was saying that it, it was like a mud pit and you could just see the surface shifting it, it wasn't probably wasn't great to play on um so yeah to get away with I mean yeah we had one I guess reasonable injury which thankfully didn't look too bad he he came back to the bench and sat there and seemed fine, which is it, it's it could have been very ugly. Um, that that a knee to the head's not not something to be, I guess, um, it's something to be really concerned about. And yeah, he, he's escaped a major injury, which is just a, a, so lucky. You can take this miss this week, buy off. And then get back and really go hard the second half of the season, and um, yeah, to escape basically with that alone, we've we've done pretty well, I think. So it could it could have been a lot worse for us when you when you look back at that. Phil, welcome back to the show. Uh, H said we did what we had to do. Is there a better way to put it than that? I reckon that's that just about wraps it up. No. Nah. <laughs> Cool. Thanks for coming. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Um, Phil, Phil, listen. <laughs> you've watched a lot of you've watched a lot of football in your time. I'm talking a lot of football. Uh, what what did you make? This was an ugly game, but I mean, what are you what are your key takeaways? No, I think uh, like jokes aside, I think H is absolutely spot on the money. We uh, got through the contest. We've got the four points. Uh, important to be back on the winning list, and and people have to remember that as good as our start to the season's been, two things. One, uh, with a new coach or an old coach returned, uh, Ross Lyon is still getting to know the players and still tinkering with the game plan, right? So this game plan is not going to be the same game plan that we've got next year and the year after. He's he's developing it. And he's trying to work out which players are going to be able to uh, play to the game plan that he wants. And that's going to take at least 12, maybe 18 months to work through. So the fact that we're winning, that's a bonus, right? And it's not to suggest that none of us aren't 
uh, expecting us to do well now and to try and make finals, etc. But without backing in one of Ross's uh, Rossisms now about you know it's about learning, it's about process, it's about getting the things right, and if that happens and we get the win, then obviously we move on to the next week. But at this stage, at this stage, uh, there is a lot more for us to get out of it than just the four points. And uh, in all honesty, um, the injury or the concussion to to Mitch Owens aside, not getting serious long-term injuries at this point and getting players back so that we can have that team development, we can have that cohesion, we can have that work to the game plan is huge. And we saw that and the importance of Max King. Uh, and, you know, once he gets three or four games under his belt, we're going to actually see something else. And we're going to see Caminiti coming into his own because the best defender will be going to Max King and that's going to allow Caminetti to roll uh, or play a different role and run a little bit freer as well. Now, you mentioned tinkering with the, the squad and kind of learning and adjusting and, and you know, working out Ross's best best game plan, best squad, you know, best list, best players, etc. For for 10 games and until this week, he hasn't played with a legitimate key forward. He's played with a you know, a, a zero game at, at the start of the season, zero game, 200 centimetre forward, um, who's never played at, at the level before. Uh, he's played with a 190 centimetre mid semi key forward in, in Tim memory for, for half that time. He's finally got Max King back. H, what did you make of the return of the King? And, and did you see what you needed to see from well, him? Well, four goals back in the first game. It's, it's, you couldn't have probably asked for more. Um, I mean, he clunked his first mark. He put his first goal straight through. You looked at it and thought, yep, that, that, that's what we wanted to see. I mean, that's the sort of thing, well, the sort of sign that tells you he was there, ready to go. And the decision to keep him till this week probably might have been the right thing to do. Um, he comes back last week and isn't quite ready and he drops that first mark and he sprays the first kick for goal and he, the confidence drops a bit. But yeah, taking that first mark, kicking the goal nice and early, you could see he was up and going, yeah, I'm ready to... I'm ready to take this game and basically get back to it. And as you say, in a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks' time, when he's actually had some football under his belt, it's yeah. I mean, it's pretty good to look at and go, yeah. This is hopefully going to be the start of yeah a, a great comeback for him this year. He can finish really strong, and I mean, as long as it, it's not easy to bring someone back into a team almost halfway through a season, but to slot someone back in like him it, and the start we've had, hey, it just keep pushing us up and hopefully that, I, I guess, the team travelling well means it, yeah, gives him the confidence to keep travelling the same way and keep keep kicking some a decent amount of goals every week. So it's, yeah, massive for us and massive for him to have a start like that. I know it wasn't pretty and, and it certainly wasn't fun to watch, but it did feel particularly in, in parts, certainly not for the whole game, but in parts that it did like we wanted to see straightened us up. And and while we did muck around with the ball a bit, we turn it over a bit. It, it was nice to have two 
targets to, to kick long to, to, to kind of straighten us up, to be more direct moving forward. And obviously that, that marking ability, like you said, H, that the kind of first, first time it goes in and he clunks it kind of 25 out directly in front and slots it. I mean, that was something that we've barely seen all year as we've, as we've tried to be, not maybe not tried to be, but had to be unpredictable with the smalls. But Phil, how did you see that that forward pairing of King and Kamini together? And then I guess the, the movement of Higgins and Butler and to some extent Gresham when he when he went forward um, down there as a group. Yeah, well, I think the proof's in the pudding, right? So Higgins, three goals. Uh, Gresh, uh, a couple of goals. Butler was handy uh, with his late goal in the fourth, I think it was as well, from distance. right? So they all play their part and... They've all got to be ready to crumb front and back uh, because with Caminiti in the short time we've been able to watch him, uh, when he doesn't clunk it, he does bring the ball to ground. Uh, and that's the same thing with King. We saw that time and time again. And by the way, can we can we have the same umpires that give uh, uh, Harry Mackay free kicks whenever he just goes <laughs> near 10 metres of the ball. Can we have the same umpires for King? Because he was being scragged. They were putting their arms around his waist. They were doing everything they could to stop him. And he didn't get any of those free kicks that they give uh, to Kerno and to Mackay at Carlton. And Carlton is still shit. So, you know, um, how, about, how about we get some of those free kicks as well? But to come back to the question, though, uh, the point is that the small forwards did what they needed to do. And people also have to remember that Butler, Gresh, Higgins, when they're playing that, they might only get four or five kicks uh, for the game. But that could be four goals one or, or five goals straight or one goal four. And that's the difference between uh, being able to have that pressure on and being able to put the other team to the sword. We, I reckon we would have had the same conversation. Obviously, we weren't doing this podcast back then, but I reckon we would have had the same conversation 10 or 15 years ago about another number 12 that seemed to get scragged and, and manhandled every single week and never got free kicks for it, unlike the other kind of centre-half forwards of, of that t- time in you know, Tredre and Pavlich and, and a lot of those other guys that Rewalt never seemed to get those free kicks at the same time. But another star that we're seeing kind of blossom in front of our eyes Jack Sinclair is turning into an elite, elite player in the AFL. I know it's been an issue for us over the course of this season that kind of premier midfielders tend to get a bit of a hold of us. We saw it with Cripps in the first half a few weeks ago. We've seen it with a bunch of of other guys. And and I think we saw it a little bit again uh, through the middle last week. It was their real kind of premier mids that that kind of got a hold of the ball a lot more. I mean, you know, Whitfield, Green, Cornelio, which we kind of talked about going into the game last week. But Jack Sinclair has played his best football off halfback, moving onto a wing with short bursts in in the middle and and been a real difference maker over the last 12 months. How do you guys feel about him becoming a full-time midfielder? H, maybe I'll start with you and and then ask the same question. Probably probably not something I would do. Um, He's too good of a ball user off the back line, and we, we see it all the time. But the picking, the way he picks it off and then it hits a target outside or outside the 50 or in the middle of the ground, it's too damaging as something to get rid of. The, the, the only way you might work that is if he might jump into the center to begin, but then sort of drift back to the back line again. Um, it, it's... 
he's become damaging in the middle when he does move in. We've seemed to have been, I guess, maybe moving him in there when we're struggling a little bit in the center to get the ball out and, and, and it's worked, but I don't see it as a permanent solution. Um, Cause yeah, as I say, we've, we've basically got to find someone to replace him if that's what we end up doing. And I don't know if we've got another player that will fill that role as well as he does at the moment. Um, it's probably easier to replace someone in the middle. Like we saw Gresham go back in there this week and did some pretty good things in the middle, to be honest. So I was impressed with his game. Um, Clark maybe moving into the center a bit more as well. Um, and even Naz getting in the middle. It's, he started to really pick up too. And, basically could be one of those options. So we look at there's probably more options to play that center role than there is to take over what um, Sings provides us in the back line. Phil? Yeah, almost echo everything that H just said. Uh, I think that having Jack go through the middle uh, gives us X factor. Putting him in the middle full time removes, I think, probably the best form of attack, uh, which is coming out of defence and him setting that up. And uh, in in much the same way that Nick Dacos plays that role at Collingwood and Caleb Daniel plays that role at the Doggies. And, you know, I think it's no surprise that the Doggies have, have done so well in the last five or six games because it mimics the role that Caleb Daniel's been playing and the importance. So everyone talks about Bond. But if you've watched some of the Doggies game, I, I honestly believe that uh, Caleb Daniels' role has had a large uh, uh, a large part to play in their success. And I think uh, for us, Jack does the same things, right? He He's exciting. We saw him do what he needs to do, score a couple of goals. And I think it's no surprise that when we've needed a bit of sort of moving up a gear, we've actually seen Ross throw him in the middle. And I like that. And I think We've also seen, and, and we'll, when we get to the votes, this will become apparent with what I'm saying, we've also seen Naz also completely lift uh, in the back. So when Jack goes middle or forward, uh, sort of Naz becomes that link player, uh, breaking the lines and, and kicking long over the uh, the defensive setup of the opposition. And I, I, I think if we were to move him just all back or, or move him all into the middle, uh, I think we lose some of that unpredictability. And what we want is we want coaches trying to go, okay, they've moved Jack into the centre. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Right? Because we want the opposition teams and the players being more concerned about what we're doing rather than being concerned about what they should be doing. Now, H, I want to ask you about our defensive unit. Um, we've seen over the last month or so that kind of opponents number one targets are kicking more goals than we would probably expect on our, our defensive unit, which is a pretty solid defensive unit. They're probably underrated. Um, but over the last kind of months to, to kind of six weeks, we've seen Jesse Hogan, um, Tex Walker, Nick Larkey, Charlie Dixon, Charlie Curnow, and, and Brody Majacek, who's not your traditional key forward, but is the kind of number one target in the Collingwood forward line, all kick multiple goals over the last kind of six weeks. Two-part question, where does our defensive unit need to get better? And 
Secondly, I saw you post something in one of the Facebook groups about Dougal Howard, who I know cops a lot of stick at the moment and, and has for a while, but I saw you post some really interesting numbers in a Facebook group about the effectiveness of Dougal Howard. And I thought it was just worth, I guess, giving giving it a chance to kind of maybe talk about that and hear some positive things about Dougs, because I think that he does play an underrated role in this back six. And maybe it's it's maybe it's not easy on the eye, but... And Phil, you can make faces and do whatever you want, but we're talking real football analysis now. So, H, I'm going to throw over to you, um, and, and maybe I guess give some give some of that insight into um, yeah. Into well, Howard. What I think's happened over the last few weeks seems to be that teams have somehow managed to almost isolate the our defenders one on one more often than what we've had previously. Um, it, it's it almost feels like. It feels like what I want to be do us to be doing with Max King. The other forwards, instead of crowding our forward line, getting out and opening that space for the forwards to get to get the one on one contest. Um you find that a lot of time, like Wilkie takes these marks when we've got a two on one or a um it's a it's a rushed kick into the forward line and he's he's sitting in the hole waiting for it to come to him. And, but as soon as they're able to get this one-on-one everywhere and pull, dragging our other defenders out for who are supporting the other players, they, they're getting these um, contest wins. And so it, it's a real case of working as a unit and they've been pulled apart slightly. So one thing's not there and when it's not working as well as it has been. So we've kind of got to get, find a way to, I guess, get it, get it back in there again. Cause these holes are opening and that's, and that's what's happened. Um, so I'd, I'm not sure if there's a, we've changed how we're defending and like being, being tighter on these players. Cause it's, it, it, we defend a lot of the time with the zone we, we we seem to be zoning off um, the opposition when they're coming forward, almost letting them get it, get to a get to halfway, and then basically filling like the fifty with a just like a, a big zone and not giving that space. But all of a sudden, these gaps have opened up. So I'm not sure if there's been a change there in what we're doing or how. Yeah, the, these forwards are managing to find these spaces that we didn't have previously, and we're not cutting off, I guess, as many of these errant kicks as what we were. Um, but for Dougal himself, and that's probably where we're seeing a lot of the frustration. Um, he he's he does have his Dougal moments. We we all know that. There's there, for sure. there's for sure, but. One thing I haven't seen this year, though, is how many times did previously we've seen him try to take on a forward when he's trying to get out of the 50. Like we've, we remember that turn that he had against, mm-hmm. I think it was against Frio, where he spun in a circle and he was back to where he started. And uh, We haven't seen those this year. I remember just every time he had the ball, I'd have to look away and go, where's this going to go? But I've had so much more confidence in his kicking and his decision-making this year. It's... It's almost clicked for him with what to do with the ball. Um, my only 
issue, as as I mentioned in that little thing I put, put together about him, is just not winning, I guess, the the one-on-one ground ball, the one-on-one, um, I guess, contest when... Um, when is it a bit of a scramble ball or something like that? He, there was, I think it was, um, I was in second quarter on the weekend where ball bounced between between him and the GWS opponent, and it bounced up to the his opponent, but he went way left for some reason, like he completely went the wrong way to where the ball went, and it was a bit like, not sure what you're doing there. That's it, just a really bad read of the ball or something, but it's the it seems to be the ground contest that really has him struggling to defend. But I mean, in the air, in uh, I guess a, a pack or whatever, he, he throws himself at it every time, and he's yeah got one of the best. I, I compared the eight defenders from the the eight key defenders from the top eight teams, and he he ranked quite highly amongst all of them in most categories. Um, he was better in many categories compared to Stephen May. He was better in many categories compared to, um, uh, what's his name from Brisbane? Um, uh, yeah, Harris Andrews. Harris. Yeah. He, he, there was categories where he was well ahead of those players and if they get lauded every week at how well they play. So overall, you can look and go, okay, well, he might not get this right, but he's getting a lot of other things right. And it's just a case of he just needs to work on a few things, it seems, and that, I guess, ground contest and the um, maybe a few one-on-one contests. And, yeah, and we're getting back to basically to the stage where the Port Adelaide fans were furious that they let him go. He, we have seen him over the last couple of years has have his kind of Dougal Howard space cadet moments that, that I think you're right that, that he has kind of knuckled down on those and, and we haven't seen as, as much of that. But Phil, do you have a, a rebuttal? I mean, you you were you looked pretty angry when I mentioned that before for, for all those who can't see, which is every single one of you listening because we don't do video. But um, what, what do you have to say to that? Well, with three blokes like us that have faces uh, for... Uh... For radio, it's a good thing we don't do video. But uh, look, I'll never pot Dougal for getting caught when he's trying to take the play on, and that happened during the weekend. Uh, it's happened many occasions this season because he's trying to make the play. And any player, I don't care who they are, that's trying to actually make something happen, I think that's, you know, okay, it didn't come off, but well done for having a crack. And, and if I take you back to Raf Clark, Right, Raf used to do this all the time. He used to actually try and make something happen. And probably seven times out of ten, he used to get caught, and that was frustrating. But at least he was trying to do something. The Back to the days of John Kennedy, just do, right? And, and so, you know, from that point of view, right, I, I, I like Dougal. Like, I don't have anything against him. I think that he gives 100% of effort 100% of the times. But if you go back and watch the game, and I watched a I watched it a couple of times live and then obviously I went back and watched a, a replay and his disposal led to a number of a costly turnovers. And there was one late in the, in, in the fourth quarter where he was on the, I think it was on the boundary line and he did some kind of weird ass handball that 
went absolutely nowhere except to a GWS player. And I'm thinking to myself, mate, you are a seasoned veteran in the AFL, handballing like you've come from the Gaelic realms of Ireland and this is your first game and you've never actually seen a football before, right? So I think there are some skills that are letting him down. And um, H, I'm interested to hear about you talking about the isolation. That might be something that opposition teams have have really worked hard to do. And, and maybe that's part of the problem that when he's isolated, there's not somebody close by for him to be able to dish off. But generally speaking, I like the fact that he, he takes the game on. And now you'll see him move forward and to make a play. And you'll often see Josh Battle be the one that goes in, in defence uh, and uh, tries to be that that uh, that last sweeper almost from a, a soccer term to clean up if need be, if the ball gets turned over. And I also, I'll add that I think when Tim Membry doesn't play in our side, it kind of changes the way that Dougal and Battle and those guys play as well because otherwise Membry's now playing a much higher role uh, between the 50-50 arc where he's providing the option, obviously, coming out of defence, but he's doing the defensive work when the ball's coming out of our forward line from the opposition. So, you know, all of those little things impact upon the, the actual game plan as it's unfolding. And and so we can't take something in isolation. So uh, I, I'm really interested, as I said, H2, have, have listened to your, uh, to, to your, uh, your uh, insights. Uh, suffice to say that uh, I still think there's plenty of room for improvement with uh, with Dougal. Well, I think it was Darren at the start of the year or late last year when when Ross was rehired that said the best thing that could happen to, to Dougal Howard was that Ross would turn him into Zach Dawson as a one-on-one effort defender. Uh, and I think we're, we're not quite there yet. Um, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully we do get there. We know that we've got a, a lot of development still and, and Ross has got a lot of teaching and developing to do with this group. It is a very different game plan. It's a very different defensive game style to what we've been accustomed to over the last couple of years. But as we wrap up, I guess, the chat on this game, uh, we'll go into the votes. H, do you want to... Uh, give out Parco's 10 votes and, and going. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So to fill in for Darren first, um, he gave one votes to Steele, Marshall and Wilkie, uh, two to Naz and King and three to Sinclair. Um, I can, I can see a bit of a pattern coming up here this week for sure. That's, that's um, something that we'll see come up. I thought I was going out on a limb here going, with the first ever four, but yeah, so I gave one to King, Steele, Stocker, and I gave one to Gresham. I thought his um, work to, in the fourth quarter when the game was on the line actually was really good. Um, what he provided in that last quarter really helped us to get a result in the end, so I was quite happy with how he how he played, and if we can see more of that, fantastic. Um Gave two to Naz, but just a fantastic game. Um, he's really coming on now. Uh, but I go four to Sinclair. I, I just one for each quarter because that, that was a massive game. And yeah, it said used in multiple roles on the day. Um, yeah, coming off the back line, moving into the middle, sneaking up forward, kicking two goals. It's just a huge game from him. Phil, 
you want to uh, you want to give your votes? Yeah, I gave uh, two votes to Naziah Wanganine Miller. Uh, you know, again, this young man continues to be uh, more impressive as each week goes by, and I know that we signed him up for a two year extension. Uh, and I'm really wishing about now that we'd sign him up for a five or a ten year extension because I think his talent is just off the charts. And uh, each player brings something different to the team, but he's pretty special. So uh, I gave uh, three votes uh, to Max King. Uh, Really impressive return. And I know that he's done a huge amount of work on the track, but there's no substitute for gameplay. And uh, for him, you know, to be able to put his arms up and, and do it in contest after contest and, again, have people uh, uh, sucking the life out of him as if they were a leech uh, throughout the game. I thought he was pretty impressive. And then I've actually gone uh, a big five votes uh, for Jack Sinclair. Uh, One uh, for uh, his two goals, one for his uh, 37 possessions, one for turning up, uh, one for his haircut, uh, and one because there's a bit of a man crush because 35 has always been my favourite number because of halves. And I think he's just about becoming my favourite player in the team. Very well said. I, I think you're right, H. There is there is a bit of a trend here, and and Phil, I think you're right too. Because I was, I my original version of the votes had Sinclair five, and I kept trying to fit other blokes in. I had to fit King in. I tried to fit Stocker in. I've changed my votes about four times over the last couple of days. Uh, but I gave one vote to Max King. Uh, impressive return. Uh, I do want to see him get out and about. Uh, outside of the fifty, like you spoke about last week, H, I think that'd be good for him now that he's got a a big a big young lad in Caminiti beside him um, and, and able to kind of head up the goal square. I gave one vote to Jack Steele. We spoke briefly off air that this is a, an absolute superstar who's probably playing it at half pace at at fifty percent and is still better than most of the midfielders in the AFL. Um, and I just can't wait till we can get him back right. Hopefully, it's sooner rather than later. I'm sure the, the week off will uh, we'll do some good over the bye. I gave two votes like like you guys like you guys to, to Naz. I think this, this kid is just blossoming in front of our eyes and each week he seems to, to either add another string to his bow or just continue to develop something that he's already very good at um, and I've been really impressed with him this year. I gave two votes to Cal Wilkie. I think he's such a cool head. It certainly wasn't his best game for the season, it wasn't the best game that we've seen him play. But you know, when there are when there are moments and we're under siege, I think that there is this feeling and sense of calm when Cal Wilkie is in the vicinity, and and it's something that only really special players have. And I think finally that the rest of the league is starting to take notice of, of Cal Wilkie. I would be amazed if he's not in the All Australian team at this point of the season. Um, he's just gone from strength to strength since he he came into the system, um, and. It's just amazing how much trust I have in this bloke to get the job done week after week after week, no matter what his role is. And four votes to Jack Sinclair because he is, at the moment, our very best player and and by quite a long way. It's it's not even close at the moment. I think when Jack Steele is fit, then obviously that, that gap is, is much closer. When Max King's fit and firing, that gap is much closer. But right now, and for the majority of the season, Jack Sinclair has been far and away our best player. Um, 
and was for a lot of last year as well. So, you know, this is a guy that we got in the in the rookie draft. I think it was in and out of the seniors for a long time as a small forward, as a small defender, as a wingman, thrown all over the shop, and and you know is now best and fairest winner and you know the first name on the team sheet at the moment. Uh, before we get into our uh, special guest this week. I just want to remind everyone that if you like the show, if you've listened this far in the show, I'd like to ask you to leave a rating or a review wherever you listen to the show, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or Facebook, whatever it is, uh, a rating or a review, hopefully five stars. Uh, it really does make a difference and, and we appreciate everyone who goes to the effort of doing so. Our guest this week is a fan favorite. He only played 55 or 60 games for the footy club through the 90s, but was a firm fan favourite, played some really good footy for us, then went on to the Blues to have uh, an all-Australian calibre uh, career, Matthew Lappin. Matthew Young, last line of defence for the Saints, saves the day, kicks it out wide, looking for Ozzie Jones, 50-gamer, keeps it alive, Tony Brown, his flatmate, Foster Jones again, Great spin, great evasion skills, and again, one bounce. Great work from Ozzy Jones. Do it all on your own, son. Have a shot, my goal. Make yourself a hero. Kicks it long into the square. Lappin. Just as good. St Kilda Rovers. Lappin puts his first one through, and St Kilda seventh. Well, I needed something, St Kilda. Our next guest on Unplugged was a fan favourite through the mid to late 90s before moving on to the Carlton Football Club. Matty Lappin, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Matty, first up, obviously, when you came into the system, the, the draft system, the junior system was very different to, to what it is today. What was the process of you getting to the St Kilda Football Club and, and you know, was that Johnny Beveridge? Like, how did that, how did that happen through the draft at that stage? Yeah, it was Johnny Beveridge and Wayne Hughes were the recruiters. Um, I was playing local footy um, at my hometown of Chilton, um, which was up near Aubrey Wodonga. Um, the Murray Bush Rangers had only just started um, that year. The year I played, got drafted, it was the first year of the under-18 competition. So I decided not to join the Murray Bush Rangers um, and I stayed and played local footy with my cousin Nigel and um, guys like Fraser Gehrig, who got drafted to West Coast and then St Kilda later on, they were the guys who went and played in the Bush Rangers. So there was a couple of different ways to get to the um, into this system at the, in those days, and I chose to do it through playing local footy. So obviously coming to the club and early on in your career, you quite often were referred to as Skinny Lappin, and you're quite quite small in size and. I oh, played well above your size over in, in many uh, occasions, but growing up, were you also one of the little kids? And how did you find? Did that help you with, I guess, building your football career? And yeah, look, it was a real challenge. Um, I walked into the doors at St Kilda at sixty three kilograms, um, <laughs> and I was so I was drafted at sixty sixty, and by the time I got to St Kilda, I was sixty three kilos. So. That's incredibly light for an AFL player. Um, you wouldn't be able to play uh, at that weight. So within the first six to eight months, I'd put you know seven or eight kilos on. Um, and the, the most I ever got to in my career was 74 kilos. So I was always pretty light um, as a player. Um, I lifted a lot of weights when I got to St Kilda, but you know until I'd gotten to AFL level, I'd never touched a weight in my life. 
I didn't know anything about dietary requirements. Um, my first ever game of footy, I drove to. I was I wasn't driving. I didn't have a license. Shane Wakeland drove me to Geelong, um, and we stopped halfway for petrol. And I grabbed, um, I grabbed an ice cream and a and a soft drink because that's just what we did at local <laughs> footy. I had no idea what was going on. And two and a half hours later, I was sitting in the hole in front of Gary Ablett. So um, it was just a different time. Um, I learned a lot um, in those first few years, uh, and I was lucky enough to put a bit of weight on and um, make sure I was able to survive. But it, look, it helped me, um, you know, to be playing um, really light. It actually made me um, really spatially aware and able to, I was able to see gaps that others couldn't see and um, create, you know, run into angles that others maybe couldn't see. And it also meant that I had to preserve my body a little bit because I wasn't built for bash and crash. So um, I was a bit more of an outside type of player and I had to rely on my skill, but um Look, I'd love a do-over, you know. Um, I got to spend a lot of time in the coaching industry uh, once I finished playing. And uh, when I was coaching, I saw how much you could actually um, adjust and, and, and change your body shape with, you know, the modern-day programs. Whereas when I got to St Kilda, I did the same programs as Stuart Lowe and Lazar Vitovic, and, which is kind of crazy that someone who was 63 kilos was doing the same programs as someone who's 110 kilos. But... Um, that was the times we were in. Tell me, uh, Maddie, did you ever uh, stand in front of the hole in front of Plugger when you played Sydney? No, <laughs> God, no. Um, frightful <laughs> days. I remember um, I was in awe. I was in awe of Plugger. He was um, obviously champion of the game, and I remember going up to get my first drink after a training session. And the club had this drink machine, and I didn't know how to get a drink out of it, and Plugger showed me what to do and and he started having a chat to me and, you know, he was talking to me about my size and he said, you know, you can never fatten a thoroughbred. That was his first words to me. I was like, I don't even know what that means, but, hey, that's cool, Plugger, I believe you. Well, if you, if you, if you remember having a look at him during our 150 match against Essendon, he's looking pretty lean himself. He uh, He's obviously not training uh, the dogs. He's obviously running around the track with them as well because he looks in unbelievable, Nick. Yeah, he's doing the old Benjamin Button thing in reverse, isn't he? <laughs> um, overweight when he played and then underweight when he finished. I've got to yeah, say, yeah. I'm a little bit jealous to hear that you uh, were drafted to St Kilda at 66 kilos because I think I was born at 66 kilos. So uh, <laughs> I'm extremely jealous. But uh, tell me, in your early days at St Kilda, they, it was an exciting team, but it was one that was rejuvenating. Obviously, Plugger had just left and gone to Sydney uh, along with Craig O'Brien, and and then there was a whole influx of amazing talent alongside you. Obviously, Joel Smith, uh, Aussie Jones, uh, you know, and and so there must have been a bit of excitement with all the young kids coming through. What was it like to come through as a group? Yeah, uh, look, that was the best days of my life. Um, if I'm being totally honest, before family, and that comes along later on in life. But it was the best days of my footy life. Um, even my best mates now um, from my footy days are those guys you're talking about from St Kilda, Joel Smith, Austin Jones, Tony Brown. Um, you know, we just we, – we had a really good time. Um, we were good mates. We partied hard, but we trained and played really hard as well. So, and that was back in the days when you could do a bit of that still. So, um, we forged some great friendships um, and, you know, we, we – we were we were really close there for a while. You know, the 97 season, um, you know, we were 
we were so close. We were a couple of injuries away from breaking that hoodoo, I reckon. Um, Spider Everett, Lazar Vitovic, Joel Smith, those three got injured and um, just left us a little bit light on for talent on the last day of the year. And, you know, obviously a few things didn't go our way that day, but it was an incredibly talented side. I still think three or four of the guys I played with in those St Kilda days are some of the best players I ever played footy with. Um, Robert Harvey, Stuart Lowe, Nicky Winmar, you know, we're talking about champions of the game. And, and I was lucky to spend some some years there when they were in their prime. You know, Banger Harvey won two Brownlows in 97 and 98. It was so great to see that up close and personal. I reckon I reckon you might have just answered about 12 of our questions. So um, <laughs> I want to take you back to the beginning because obviously that at the end of 93, you're drafted with a bunch of other players, most of which didn't really go on to have much of a career with, with St Kilda or, or in the AFL at all. But... Um, your first game in, in 94, obviously Ken Sheldon was sacked at the end of 93. Stan Alves comes in, brand new game plan, still a bunch of, of the older guys that, that you mentioned, you know, your, your Harvey, Low, Winmar, Burke, et cetera, that are, that are kind of the mainstays of the team. You make your debut in round 12, a loss to Geelong, like you mentioned yep. before at, uh, at Cardinia Park. Lost by three points, but we were up by yep. five goals at three-quarter time. What are your memories of, of that day? Oh, I remember a lot. Um, I started on the bench, and that was back when you didn't rotate every, you know, nine minutes on, three minutes off or anything like that. I was, I was on the bench till I think, halfway through the second quarter. I was letting that ice cream and soft drink settle in my stomach. So st- <laughs> and then um, Stan sends the message down, you're going on to tag Paul Couch. <laughs> what? Shit, easy, easy assignment what? first up. I'm tagging Paul Couch. I've never tagged anyone in my life. I'm a freewheeling, um, you know, skinny little fellow who loves chasing the footy. Um, anyway, it was a bit, the best initiation I possibly could have had. I He took me to the footy everywhere. Um and I think we probably had – I probably had about 17 or 18 in two and a half quarters and he probably had about 12 to 15, maybe even the same number. But I think we'd probably take that as a win um, for me. And, you know, we, uh, we were we were all over him. As you said, we were up by five or six goals at three-quarter time. Gary Ablett hadn't had a touch. Um, we were dominating the game. Um, and obviously it's hard to win down there. And Ablett came alive in the last quarter. He probably kicked four or five goals in the last quarter. And I remember after the game, Stan Owls gave us an almighty bake, um, kicked the chair and broke a toe uh, in, the, in the meeting room. Um, but it was just a very memorable game. Um, and one, you know, I was so – I remember my first kick was a left foot kick. Um, I tried to kick a, lead, um, a pass to a guy on the lead. I probably – in my life, I'd kicked the ball on my left foot maybe 10 times. Um, and my first kick in AFL footy was a left foot pass. Um, funnily enough, it hit the target. But um, – yeah, it was just a great memory. I think that the next week as well, we also we were up by five or six goals at three-quarter time and and lost or or actually it was it was a couple of weeks later. It was your third game. It was a draw against Adelaide. We were up by five five or six goals at three-quarter time and ended up drawing the game. Do you remember what the the game plan w- was at that stage? Was like how much strategy was there compared to I guess when you finished your career and, and there was a lot more strategy and game plan in, in terms of setting up matchups and and um, yeah. and set plays and all that type of stuff. What was it like back then? Uh, I remember Stan had, I think, maybe 17 team rules um, and every player had to memorise them. You know, I, I can't remember them all, but one of them was no U-turns, you know, like that might have been number five, no U-turns. And like there was 17 of them and I've got no idea what they were, but <laughs> it just it, it was enough for us to become um, 
in sync together as a team. Um, and we all knew what was expected of everyone. And, um, you know, whilst that wouldn't cut it nowadays, it was certainly um, innovative in those times. And I think probably the biggest thing I remember from my St Kilda days was the impact of leading teams. Um, and we were one of the very first te- – well, we were the first, very, very first AFL team to introduce it. Stan brought it in. And I remember um, – that was probably in 1997 was the first year he brought it in. And that just had such a huge impact on our footy club. That took us from being um, middle of the road to, you know, top of the table. Um, I'm a big believer in that program. And every club I've been at since at AFL has, has introduced it along the way. And I think it's still being used in AFL club land nowadays. So you've got a good recollection there of first game and everything. Have you got, how had your recall of say first goal? Is that something you can take us through? And uh, I, I kicked my first goal at uh, Witten Oval. I don't even remember, remember what it was called. Um, it was against Fitzroy. Um, Might've been the Western Oval. Western yet. Oval it was called. Then. Then. Yeah. I was, um, I can't remember how I got it, but I was tied on the pocket um, and I kicked a right foot goal. It was just a drop punt, but it was tied on the boundary, but I don't really remember it that well. Um, I remember the lights going out or, or yeah, the lights going out. Um, I didn't play in the initial game, but I played in the, the follow-up game on the Wednesday or the Thursday, whenever it was. Um, I remember, yeah, Tuesday I played in the the reserves. Um, and as would happen after a game of footy, we'd go to Flaming Moe's, which was Stewie (laughs) Lowe's pub and we had a few beers, us young blokes and few of the senior boys came in and go, hang on, you better slow down, you blokes. We've got to play on Tuesday. And it was like, I'm not going to play. I was in the twos. Um, anyway, I got the call up. Um, I was, I think Stan thought I was going to be the great white hope. Fresh legs on Tuesday, but it, <laughs> that was not the case. Um, but um, I got paid a match payment on the Tuesday for half a game. So I'll take the money. And um, But it was memorable for all the wrong reasons. Now tell me, uh, Matty, you had a couple of numbers that you played at at St Kilda. I think you started out in 37, I think it was, and yep. then you finished up with 22. And then yep. when, when you went to the Blues, you were in number 12. So yep. who's the better number 12, you or Nick Rewalt? Nah, Nick by a mile. Mate, that's, that's, you're, you're, tremendously, no you're tremendously humble because you're probably the best number 12 that Carlton's ever seen, let's be honest. No, and. No, uh, to be, I didn't ask for any of those numbers. I just took what I was given. So that's just – I never asked for any of those numbers at any of the clubs. I just – they were handed to me, so I just wore them. Now, I've got a different question for you. Tony Brown, you mentioned earlier, who uh, was a tremendous player, and in some respects I think that his career was probably curtailed at St Kilda. Yours was as well. And before we get to you moving clubs, um, what I want to ask you – I mean, Tony Brown has has – uh, the rightful reputation right across the industry as being the best player welfare uh, person in any club. Tell me, uh, what was it playing with him? I mean, you would have seen that as a as a as a, another bloke in the locker rooms with him. What was it about Tony that stood out, and what is it you reckon that he does now that shows the way for uh, for all that player welfare work that's required? Yeah. Well, he was he was the glue of our friendship. Um, he's the sensible one, the guy who, um, you know, he just kept us all connected. And I just see that now with what he does in his welfare role. He's just He just connects everyone. Um, he's got a massive heart. He's a great guy. I was actually – I was coaching at Collingwood um, 
in 2011 and Mick Malthouse was looking for a runner and I said, I've probably got a guy if you're interested and it was Brownie um, and Brownie came across and he was the runner at Collingwood for whether it was one or two years, I can't remember what it was. And then when Scott Waters left Collingwood to go to um, St Kilda, he took Brownie over there with him. So, um, you know, from our, and our friendship when we were 18, 19, 20, he was the glue that kept us together. And I'm sure he's doing the same thing now, now with St Kilda. He's, um, he's just a wonderful guy who he's got a massive heart and he looks after people and it's the perfect character for a welfare role at an AFL footy club. So I, I mentioned, sorry to jump in, Nick, uh, but I mentioned that the transition between obviously St Kilda to Carlton, are you able to tell us a little bit about what happened and behind the scenes, the discussions and how it all kind of unfolded? Because I, I can tell you I'm obviously a lot older than the other two blokes on this pod at the moment, but uh, I remember you leaving and I was pretty shattered at the time. Yeah, look, it came as a, a surprise. Um, I've told the story a few times um, but whether you know it or not, um, I was sitting at home on the couch. I lived with Joel Smith. Um, he'd left the year before um, and we were sitting at home watching the TV at about 5.30 at night and Sports Tonight was on and Tim Webster, I think it was, yep. or somebody, um, might have been Steve Quartermain, came up and on the news it said, oh, St Kilda have accepted an offer for Matthew Lappin from Carlton um, for pick 40. And, and I looked at Joel and he looked at me and I said, what? what's going on here? Because I hadn't heard nothing about it. And then 10 minutes later, my phone rang. It was a phone on the wall. It wasn't a mobile phone back in those days. It was my manager. He said, Carlton have made a big offer for you from, and St Kilda want to accept it. So you're meeting with um, David Park and Sticks Kernahan, Craig Bradley at six, six o'clock the next morning. Um, and if they like the way it goes down, that's happening. So, it all happened so quickly. Um, I wasn't really prepared for it, but um, that was just the way it was. And to be brutally honest, it was the best thing that happened in my career because it was the the kick in the butt that I needed, the wake up call that I needed to, um, you know, st- start to narrow my focus on becoming the best footballer I could be. Because whilst I was at St Kilda, I, I was a, I was a, I played I was a bit part player. Um, I didn't apply myself anywhere near the level I needed to, but I was also a very young, immature young man from the bush who didn't really know what to do either. So it took the the kick up the bum for me to wake up and 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 probably draw the, um, as much out of my my talent as I possibly could. Now, Maddie, you just talked about Tony Brown, number two with a big heart. I want to take you back to, to 94, 95, to another number two with a big heart and Spud Frawley. What are your memories of, of Danny uh, as a young bloke walking into Moorabbin? But, I mean, what, what was that like walking into a room that was commanded by the, the great Danny Frawley? Yeah, I, he's, I still say he's the funniest person I've ever met in footy. Um, some of the things he would say on the footy field, at training, in the locker room, I mean, what we saw of him on the, the, you know, the media personality, that's, that's what he was in the locker room, but 10 times, you know, more, you know, up and about and in your face and loud. And cause he was the captain, he controlled everything in the, in the footy club. He could say what he wanted. He could say to whoever he wanted, what he wanted. And, and nine times out of 10, it was hilarious. Um, he just knew, he knew when the group needed to be lighter um, and he knew when, 
he needed to kick a few blokes up the butt as well. So, um, and, you know, he led by example as well. He was the hardest trainer. Um, but my fondest memories of him are that he just, he just made everyone laugh. Um, and I still think that's the most important thing to have in a footy club environment. It's to make sure that everyone is having fun and enjoying themselves. So to be able to make everyone laugh like he did was just um, a huge, huge thing for us. Yeah. One of the accolades you got through your career was Australian selection. So you had three three cracks at playing for Australia. How, how was the, I guess, the tour they would go on? And how, how did they, I guess, was it, I guess some players use it as a bit of a junket, but few took it quite seriously. Where, where, where did you sit in amongst that? No, I was right in the um, junket area. Um, <laughs> it's a hell of a trip. It was an amazing trip. We used to get fined for wrestling or you know whatever, and that was our chance to get our money back from the AFL. We'd go and stay in a six-star castle in Ireland and drink their wine and eat you know eat their good food and get wear their fancy suits that they buy us. But above all that, it was um, I loved the game. I loved the international rules concept. Um, I loved competing against another country. I loved competing with guys from other clubs and the best players from the other clubs um and you know the fact that i got to tour twice i think once as a player no twice as a player and once as a coach and i got to play in a home season um as well but what it also gave me was an opportunity to um when i got the sack from carlton as a coach i was doing the international rules as a coach with mick malthouse and and um the first three weeks I spent with Mick, he said, well, we've got a spot here at Collingwood after they won the flag in 2010. So it actually got me a job at Collingwood, which I spent four years there. Um, So it led to many things for me, not only overseas travel, but, and great experiences playing in front of Croke Park, in front of 70,000 people, mad Irishman. Um, It also got me, you know, to extend my coaching career at Collingwood, which gave me some of my greatest um, coaching experiences. So, Matty, I've got uh, a couple of questions to go, and one's quite serious, one isn't. The the time that you were at the club as things started to unfold with Stan Owls, can you, can you talk us through, as a player, what that does to you as you start watching either the coach themselves kind of implode a little bit in that relationship and then also watching the club then move on the coach as well? How unsettling is that really? Or do players like, mate, we've seen this all before and we're going to see it again, so we'll just get on with it? Well, to be brutally honest, us young blokes, we didn't really know or pick up on it. We were just young blokes playing footy. We were having a lot of success. We played in the grand final in 97. We snuck into the finals in 98. Um, So we didn't feel like we were a failing footy club. I think a lot of that stuff was happening in amongst the senior players. Um, and to their credit, they didn't let that information fall down onto us young blokes. They just let us go and worry about playing week in, week out. So uh, I had no idea that stuff was going on, to be honest. I still thought we were going okay. Um, but then, you know, I also didn't know I was going to get the sack six weeks later either. So, um, or the you know, traded. So I didn't have a real good read on the game back then. <laughs> Um, Matty, the 97 run, obviously we're talking about kind of the, the downfall of, of Stan Owls, but 97 and that run through the second half of the year, 
Um, what was it that changed from your perspective? I mean, you'd gone from you know, a young kid in the group to, to someone who was becoming a mainstay in the in the senior team. Uh, obviously, that young group that we've spoken about, Aussie, Smith, Brown, et cetera, were, were becoming more and more household names. But what was that run like um, through the, the year? And, and what changed to kind of you know, ha- make that yeah, click? We, we found our groove. Um, I think we were 0-4, um, 0-4 or 0-5. We started poorly. Um, and I remember us having a function at the Chevron. It might have been Craig Davenport's nightclub or something in Chapel Street. Um, and we just we we connected really well, um, you know, out and about over a few beers. And then we just we just kept training hard and playing hard. And we had a lot of talent. Um, and that was also the year that we introduced leading teams. So I think that started to kick in as well. Um, we were just an incredibly connected team we were um you know we had a squad of about 28 to 30 guys who loved spending time together loved training hard and it just clicked on field for us we um we started to um you know perform game day and then we just got so much confidence out of that and it was only was if it wasn't for a couple of key injuries i i I know we would have won that year because our, our best six or seven players were some of the best players in the competition by a long way. The form of Spider Everett before he got injured, he was the All-Australian Ruckman. He was a key forward who could go into the ruck, but he he kicked like six or seven goals a game. He was just unstoppable. Um, And we had good players in all areas of the ground, and us young blokes were just going along for the ride. We were were providing the energy and the spark and a little bit of the polish, Um, but really the, the key, the older guys and the key players were just having outstanding season so we just got into a really good rhythm we were well connected we had a great time on field and we also had a great time off the field and um unfortunately we just ran out of steam at the end so you talk about the great time off field that we've heard a couple of stories from a few different players about things that happened around the club but any memories of any good i guess maybe a prank or something that someone played on someone that you just that just sticks in your mind Oh, nothing really specifically, but the, the Spider and Spud and those guys were, they were always playing pranks on each other. I remember I used to work at a mobile phone company where you fit car phone, um, car phones into cars and Spud Frawley came up to me. I got his car, his car got done and he said, pluggers coming in, let's say it's Thursday, pluggers bringing his car in to get his car phone connected. He wanted me to stick prawn tails under plugger's seat in the in the rails of the seat so and move it back and forward, back and forward and really squish it in. And I'm I'm looking at him going, mate, I'm I'm eighteen. I I I'm like a kid who weighs sixty five kilos and you want me to stink plugger's car out and he's going, Maddie, you'll be a superstar. You'll be the hero of this footy club if you do it. Could you imagine what Plugger would have done to me if he found out I did that? He wanted me to stick dirty prawns under Plugger's car. So in two or three weeks, it started to stink. <laughs> I just I just couldn't do it. That, that, but Spud was going, oh, no, Skinny, you're, you're made for this. You'll be a hero. And I, I'm, I'm, I went home and I thought about if I pull this off, I'll be the hero of the footy club. But just as Spud would have put me in too, he would have. He would have just as likely said to Plugger, he did it, you know, he, he, he did it to your Plugger. He would have thrown me under the bus 
and I didn't have the courage. It was just wasn't worth it. How do you do that to Plugger? I couldn't do it. But that's the sort of bloke pl- uh, Spud was. You can do it. You can do it, mate. You'll be a hero. Tell me, Matty, uh, I always like to ask these questions of our, our guests when I get a chance to come on the show. So I'm just going to roll off some uh, questions for you. I just want your uh, immediate response. So best uh, football player in the Lappin family, Nigel or Matthew? Nigel. Favourite holiday destination, Phuket or Bali? Bali. Peter, pineapple or no pineapple? Uh, happy with either. If you could only watch one football team win a premiership, St Kilda or Carlton? Uh, Carlton. Ah! It's like a dagger Whoa. through the heart. Oh, you, you got rid of me. And I went on to play 195 <laughs> games in another club. Come on. No, not 100. Has any, no, right, 100. Has any, has any Carlton podcast asked you back on? Uh, yeah, I've done a few of these, yeah. Yeah, you're not Robinson Caruso here. <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're the best-looking group, <laughs> yeah, clearly. surely. Yeah, clearly <laughs> the, the best I've been on. Hey, uh, before I hand back to the boys, can I just say, Matty, it was a it, honestly, it was a, a pleasure watching you play football at St Kilda. Uh, I still watched you play when you went to the Baggers, and uh, I've absolutely been delighted to uh, be able to chat to you tonight. Back to the other two boys too. I appreciate that you didn't get the best of me, but you definitely gave me my opportunity um, at, in in AFL, and I'm forever grateful for that. Matty, I just want to ask you one more, one more on on someone else who I don't think we saw the best of either. And, and you mentioned him uh, a couple of minutes ago that you you were housemates with Joel Smith uh, through that ninety seven ninety eight period. What was that like when when he did his knee, um, and that period through? I guess the successes, quote unquote, of ninety seven and and whatever, and and he wasn't a part of that on field. What was that like living with Joel? What what was that like? Yeah, um, look, that was really hard for a lot of us to take. I remember there was a photo um, when they showed the, um, the his knee buckling on the big screen. I turned and cringed like um, like that, and there was actually a photo of that in the paper, I remember. Um, it shocked us young blokes because we, as I said, we were just oblivious to that stuff. We just thought we were bulletproof on-field and off-field. Um, but when it happened to him... Um, you know, it was obviously he was a high draft pick, so um, it set him back a bit in his career, and and it was a shame that he had to leave clubs. But um, he, you know, he needed some security in his life. He he had a massive knee injury. He got offered a three year deal to go to another club, and St Kilda didn't offer that same security, so kind of didn't leave him with too many choices. But um, it was a shame when he had to go, and it did it did it sort of pulled our group apart. Um, you know, he went at the end of 97, I think it was. And then I went at the end of 98 and then it just left Brownie and Aussie there. So um, it did kind of break us up, but um, you know, it was, it was hard to see one of our best mates go down like that in a game. So being the 150th year at a club, we've been asking everyone who's come on, what's the secure football club to you? What, what did it mean to you? What is the, I guess the, the one thing you might, take away with it yep. over your career well, or afterwards and say to you that say to someone that that's what it means to me. Yeah. So as I said a little bit earlier, I'm forever grateful with the fact that they were the club that took the chance on me as I, I was a 63 kilogram young boy from the bush. Um, and John Beveridge and Wayne Hughes had the courage to draft me at pick 40. Um, 
and I'm forever grateful that they gave me my introduction into the game. I'm also grateful that they moved me on because that is what I actually needed at the time in my career. Um, and whilst it hurt at the time, um, I look back on it really fondly. And it's also given me my three or four best mates out of footy um, who I still keep in regular contact with. So uh, I have fond memories of my time there. Um, and, you know, you know, I look forward to any opportunity I can with catching up with those guys that I played my footy with there. Well, Matty, thank you for joining us. Uh, I think you said it best that, that you were at our footy club. You played some good footy, but we probably didn't see the best of you. Uh, but you went on to have a stellar career at, at Carlton. Uh, you played in more finals, played another grand final. Took mark of the year in your first game for the Baggers. Uh, mate, thank you so much for joining us and, and having a chat about your time with, uh, with the Mighty St Kilda Footy Club. Pleasure, boys. See you later. Matty Lappin there. Uh, great to chat to, to Skinny. Obviously, as a... a yeah, a wealth of experience across two footy clubs and had some great stories to tell. I loved hearing him talk about Sparta and Plugger and, and some of the older blokes that, that were at the footy club when he arrived. And then, you know, obviously some of his best mates that, that developed through that that period with us. But we move on to Hawthorne at Marvel Stadium on Saturday afternoon, round 11. It's our final game before the bye. The Hawks are a young team. They're not expected to do much. Obviously, been in the running for the Wooden Spoon and the the number one draft pick, the Harley Reid Cup last week, which they won or lost. I'm not even sure how to define that last week. But they demolished the Eagles by 100 points, which I'm not sure anybody saw coming. Um, H, is this a bit of a danger game? Uh, well, for one, I think everyone lost with that game <laughs> the other day. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I, mean, I wouldn't call it danger if... We were to lose, it wouldn't. It would go down as a probably a catastrophic catastrophic failure. Because yeah, it, it's not a game that we should be dropping. Um, we should win, and, uh, and that's as simple as we can put it. It's a match that the the matchup isn't a game that we should be looking at. Going, oh, we're in trouble here. We're we could lose this. We should be going into it going, we we win this game. And yeah, I mean, it, it was a hundred point win against Subiaco. Um, so it, it's not like it's, they've gone and knocked off, I don't know, someone in the middle range there, Carlton or something last week or something like that. We've gone, hang on, they're actually a, a bit of a challenge here. But we've, I mean, I guess we've seen us do strange things before so it's a it's a game on paper that you put a w down next to um they've they've probably picked up a bit of confidence from last week and i mean rightly they should but it'd be good to just come out in the first quarter and pretty much knock them knock them down and say no 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 that that was last week against nobody we're we're not going to let you do the same this week at all that you won't get to play the same way. You won't get the, the space and the possession that you had. You won't get the ease of moving the ball forward. You, for every goal that you're going to kick, you are going to put everything into. It's going to be a completely different game to what you've just played. Um, it's yeah. And it's time for our, I guess, players who we say are talking about struggling we have Dougal not have a goal kicked on him. We'll have uh, Gresham go in the middle and 
delivered a ball to someone from from in the fifty from the center five six times. We we'll have yeah anyone oh, Seb Ross. He, he's been a little bit off recently. We'll get get out there and have thirty touches. It, it's time for those players who might be just on the outer, might be looking at possibly, yeah, not have a secure spot right at the moment. Because we know there's a few more players come back after the buy to really cement themselves and make those positions hard to take away from them. And we've got the net week off to the week after. So go hard, guys. Get the, get the win. Put everything out there and then have a good rest. That don't leave anything out there in this, on Saturday and let's say, hey, we're going into the second half of the season with a real win behind us. And yeah, let, let, let's make it look make it look like how we played the first few rounds. Phil, on paper, I think as, as H said, this is what would normally be defined as an easy W. Uh, they do have some <clears throat> talent in that lineup. Not a lot, admittedly, but some and some's developing. Um, they've just won a, a game of AFL football by a hundred points. They're a young team. They're going to have some ups and downs, and and should yeah, you know, we should probably expect a down after they've just had a a thumping like that. But is it just the fact that this is St Kilda that there's like this irrational fear of games like this? Well, I don't think it's irrational when you've been a St Kilda supporter for as uh, long as the three of us <laughs> or the four of us put together. The three. Of, the three uh, musketeers. But uh, what I want to say is that I don't think any team can literally go into a game thinking that they're going to win. Uh, you know, if we have a look at just last week, uh, North Melbourne were within 30 seconds of beating Sydney. And on paper, they shouldn't have even been clo- that close. Uh, Richmond were 30 seconds too far from having been beaten uh, by Essendon. So, you know, if you rock up and you're 5% off your game, if you disrespect your opponents in your opposition, if you go to the game thinking that we just need to turn up to win, uh, you will lose, right? There's, there is no sure far away to uh, have your pants pulled down by your opponent than to be disrespectful like that to them. And, and so uh, <clears throat> when, you're, when you're playing a young, a young team like Hawthorne, uh, the best thing that's going for fun is that uh, those players uh, are going to have a crack. And yes, there might be some weeks that are inconsistent, but I tell you what, when Mitch Lewis is in that side, it really straightens them up, and he is a very, very good player. Jai Newcomb, I think, probably should have won uh, the award last year for uh, the Rising Star, mm. and I think that I, uh, I, I think that he is an unbelievable young player. I don't think Hawthorne has seen the best of Carl Amon. Uh, and, you know, we just hope that we don't see the best of him either. But, uh, you know, at his best on a wing, uh, he's absolutely uh, he's, he's absolutely uh, worthy of a spot in a, in a top-tier team. You know, you look at James Sicily, uh, you know, again, probably at, at his best, All-Australian uh, and with his leadership as well. And so I think Hawthorne has a lot of players that if they're all playing at their best uh, and we're not, uh, have a, a real chance to, 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 to beat us. But again, if we turn up, uh, it's a game that, you know, you would expect us at home to be able to get the W behind us. 
but again, leading into the bye at this point, uh, I just want no injuries uh, and an effort. And if we put in 100% effort and for some reason we walk away without the chocolates, well, as a supporter, uh, you know, you can deal with that. It's when they don't put the effort in. Oh, it's, it's, it's a good point, H. I'll, I'll throw it to you. But outside of the four points, outside of the W, I mean, we know that it's it's a good time for the bye. We, we do look tired. Uh, it's been a it's been a long first ten weeks of the season, despite the fact that we started the, the year playing some really good footy. We can certainly see after the last kind of four or five weeks that that we have been struggling a little bit, and and you know the bye is coming at a good time for us. What do you want to see out of this one? Like, obviously four points we want to win but what do we have to do against Hawthorne for us to take something else some developing some learning some game plan what like what is it that we have to do to take something else out of this game well you want to win you you'd like to win four quarters you'd like to you want to see four quarters put together well I don't want to see oh we win the first quarter second quarter third quarter and then fall asleep and win by three goals that that's the one thing we don't want to do if we're controlling a game we want to finish it off we don't want the slow start like we've had a couple of times. We want to start the game and basically put our plan in motion to start with and go, this this is our game. This is how we're playing it. You're going to be chasing us. Um, and as I was saying before, pretty much get the confidence back in those players who either haven't played many games, are on the, I guess, in that bracket of, say, the 16 to, 16 to say, 25, 26 players the ones that are playing do play good football and and make it difficult for them to be dropped um and that's the main thing we want we want we don't want to see a player and go that they're easy to drop we don't need what they're giving us i want to see 22 and you can include a 23rd player now um the players out there play the positions that they're given and basically do the job that they're asked to do. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, we go, there'll be, there'll be a bit of, I guess, review going into the buy. Um, and if, if someone's off the last few weeks before a buy becomes very obvious. So that they're, they're the players who, yeah, we need to lift because if they lift the whole team lifts and then, yeah, the, the, the selection dilemma comes in and the players basically lift the whole team because, yeah, fighting for position is very healthy for us. So four quarters and play your role. Uh, and that's what we just need. Now, speaking of selection, obviously uh, Mitch Owens, the big hit uh, on the weekend. He's listed as a test this week, but surely he doesn't play. Pretty sure Ross Lyons ruled him out. So, Well, there you go. Um, but obviously the, the the obvious choice would be to bring Tim Membry back in for, for Mitch Owens, and, and that would probably be the the obvious, easy selection, assuming Membry's right to go. But Phil, expecting any, any other changes before the bye? No, I don't think so. I think uh, the, big, the big question mark is, has Tim Membry recovered from his concussion? If he has, then that's a, a, obviously a straight swap for uh, Mitch Owens and really hope that uh, Mitch is uh, on his way back um, to full fighting health more than anything because we've seen what concussion can do with Paddy McCartan uh, first-hand at our club 
And there's nothing more important for a young man than having his future ahead of him. So that's far more important, believe it or not, than a football game. Uh, but uh, that's uh, my editorial over. So in terms of others, obviously on the periphery, we've got uh, Billings and Winhager. Uh, we've also got potentially uh, to, to come in uh, Cordy if, if we're looking for another tall uh, because with uh, with the height of uh, Mitch Lewis, uh, even though we've got players that can cover him, they might want to have another tall as a bit of cover as well. H, obviously we, we've had all the talk over the last week about Marcus Wintager. Obviously another big game for, for Sandringham on the weekend. The likes of Jack Billings still waiting in the wings. Are, are you expecting any other changes? Um, I wouldn't be expecting much. Um yeah, pretty much the ones Phil's listed is probably this the or and yourself have listed is pretty much this probably gonna be the standard that we're expecting. Um whether they swing any surprises for matchups or anything, because it um if anything, Hawthorne maybe are a smaller, quicker team. Um whether we want to perhaps give someone an extra rest, like Seb Ross might need another rest or just, just some of the older players may have two weeks off instead of one. Um, it, it's, I don't see much happening there, but it'd be good to see Bytel start. That that'd be one that'd be good to see. Actually, have him start the game. He's served well as the sub many times already. Let's let's give him a full game. We we know he's got the skill. We know he's got the ability and the want. And yeah, I want I want to see him play a full match, and just show us what he can do. Um, but overall, yeah, we miss Mitch, which is yeah, he's unfortunate, and he, he leaves a big hole when you look at. I mean, compared to last season, it's him and a couple of younger younger players were interchanging between each other, and it was sort of like for like. But he has jumped up so much now that he he leaves a big hole for us. Um, We'll, we'll move the magnets around and fill those gaps and um, hopefully, yeah, as we're saying, we'll they'll all dig in and give us give us the right result. Yeah, the other reason that now, as we get into sorry, Nick, the other reason that Cordy might be an option is because Mitch Owen Mitch Owens obviously plays second ruck, and uh, with him out, they might try and bring Cordy in so that he can also play that and give Marshall some relief. Very valid point. Uh, we'll get into some listener questions. And, and just touching on Sandringham and the VFL, Shay asked or, or commented that watching Sandringham live on Sunday, no one impressed and, and stats flatter the likes of Highmore, etc. And just off the back of that, the Saint on Twitter wanted to know about the Sandy connection and what we have to do to get our own VFL team because it does, you know, from the outside looking, it does feel like we are hamstrung with that VFL alignment with Sandringham, nothing against Sandringham, but, you know, a lot of the other clubs that have their own development pathways for kids coming through to, to make sure they have kids coming through, playing the roles that they're going to play in the seniors, doing the things that the senior coach wants to do in the twos. I mean, what does that scenario look like from your perspective, Phil, as, as someone who's kind of been around the the traps and, and in some of those discussions, I guess, in, uh, in parliament and, and government, uh, areas like what? What does that look like? Well, I think the first thing is that we need to recognise that having our own standalone team costs in excess of a million dollars uh, per annum, 
And so there is uh, a significant uh, financial aspect to that. And, and yes, we're interested in winning premierships, but uh, is the cost benefit uh, greater uh, by doing it than then we lose out, right? And I'm not in a position where I can make that assessment. I'm not close enough to Sandy uh, and understanding it. But from everything that I hear from the club, it's a great alignment. Obviously, Jack Batchelor is the coach there and we employ him or we pay for him to be there. Uh, we get them training at Moorabbin, uh, I think, once a week. Obviously, they also train at uh, Trevor Barker Oval. You know, I, I think from my perspective, I think the alignment works. Uh, I don't know that I would be looking to, to spend a, a million plus on our own team at this point, certainly not while we've got debt. I don't think that it, it benefits us uh, in that way. But if, for example, Ross Lyon said that that's an extra 5%, which is the difference between w- w- winning a flag or uh, or just competing in the, you know, the, the top four, then obviously you'd have to give uh, a whole lot of thought to it. But from the outside looking in, I'm not sure at this point uh, that we, we get enough out of it to justify the cost. H, Ben uh, has asked, given we were at almost identical stage this time 12 months ago and crashed and burned, what do we need to improve on with the Ross game plan to ensure we actually play finals? And I guess off the back of that, Carl's asked Lions game plan. Have we been found out? What do you think? Not sure. I don't think completely found out. I think every team picks off aspects of team's strengths and and exploit their weaknesses. Um, parts of it, I guess, at times have been plucked at and, um, I guess, negated. And we've got – we've also picked up on things that other teams do that, and we've managed to beat them in areas too. So it's not like – We've been completely defeated, um, except for the Adelaide game where they completely pulled us apart. But our other losses were really close ones. Um, I mean, you can't say our win against Kangaroos wasn't a, a poor win. Um, we, we've looked a lot. They've, as as Philip said, they've only just lost on the siren of just before the siren last week. They. They're putting together some good, good plan game plans, and it's the season will roll and change, and teams will do different things, and it's just a case of picking the right thing at the right time, and or just throwing something into somewhere and see if it works, and 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 that's what happens, I guess, early, mid, and even in late season, if if something's not working, they will throw something in there, and change it up or it depends on who you're playing on the day as well. So we'll, we come up against a lot of the teams we've played before later in the season. You don't expect to have the exactly same game plan the second time you play a team. So the next time we play North Melbourne, we're probably not going to have the same game plan we played last time. We might find a way to open it up and actually find an easier way to goal. Um, and I mean, I'm not going to say stop them from scoring. I mean, hold them, hold them goalless to quarter time. I mean, probably shouldn't have been. They missed a couple of reg- reasonably easy ones. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll go in with a different plan. So it, it, it's an evolving beast, I guess. So 
yeah, it's not a case of being found out. It's just trying to be that step ahead of who you're playing and don't let them basically shut you down and try try to have something that they're not expecting. Phil, Tim's asked about the the raw deal we got from the AFL in regards to the, the fixture uh, that was announced last week around 16-23 that we never seem to complain about anything. And it does, I guess, looking looking at the club from the outside that since the Grant Thomas days, we seem to be very quiet when it comes to any type of, I guess, league-wide issues or, or whatever. We don't seem to make much noise. We don't make waves. We don't complain. Uh, why don't we complain? I'm not sure what there's to complain about. Uh, we've got the best fixture this year that we've had in years, uh, widely regarded as, if not the easiest, probably the top three clubs of easiest draws available. And I kind of like having Sunday afternoon to make it as our own slot. Uh, there's something nice about knowing that we're, we're on that same time almost every week that you can plan your weekend around it. I don't know how young uh, Tim is, but uh, having three kids... Uh, and having uh, football games on a Sunday and and uh, netball games and and basketball games on a Saturday, uh, a, a mid to late afternoon on a Sunday actually makes it pretty easy to to get to the footy as a family, and it's not a, a time that's too late um, in 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 terms of getting ready for school on on Mondays. So um, I don't know whether that makes me the odd one out, Nick. I'm sure you'll happily. <laughs> contribute to uh to tell everybody that i am regardless of the, my view on this but I, I like i like the sunday slot uh bring it on let's make it our own and uh at the same time uh let's uh let's just keep winning and if anything all right down the track i'd love for us to put our hands up to be thursday night specialists i i actually kind of agree with you to, to be honest yeah, i was gonna say it's probably good to not be losing on Friday and then having a bad, bad weekend every week. It's, <laughs> it's it's probably the only upside to it. You could be excited all weekend. <laughs> um, I guess last one, both Toby and Max have asked about Dougal Howard. I think we, we kind of covered Dougal a bit earlier, but is is it a worry that we don't seem to have another ready-made key back to kind of take over? I know James S., uh, James Van Ness is coming through from the, the most recent draft. Um, Tommy Highmore is there. He's not really a... a key defender do we need to look outside the footy club for a ready-made key back like a sam taylor max asks h well i not really every team has the stockpile of them that no team does so they are tough to find it's yeah if you can nab one from someone else then you're doing well but you're never going to have a someone there ready to go waiting that they just don't stick around if if we've got someone waiting there, like who who's a start up defender, they're playing. They're not they're not sitting down in Sandringham. So yeah, it's not like I oh, drop Dougal and as many people can't do answer and say who you bring in. It just seems to be drop Dougal, but there's no answer. Hmm. It's, it's we need someone to replace if that's what what we're wanting to do and we don't really have another we don't well we don't have another 200 centimeter defender so Mm. it's a it's a case of he's in that group that we've got the group works quite well and unless we draft someone like 
someone magically appears in the mid-season draft that no one has ever seen before anywhere, uh, he's going to be playing there till the end of the season minimum. Well, I think it's it's almost worth reminding people that that only a couple of years ago we traded for a very highly regarded leader of another footy club, key defender, big body, all-Australian caliber fullback, who's Dougal Howard. So I think it's less about getting rid of Dougal Howard and more about how can we get Dougal back to being Dougal Howard. And and Ross Lyon, I think, is the guy to do that, like I said. And we've said a number of times over this podcast, you know, over the last kind of couple of months, if if Ross can work his magic and get Dougal doing the the fundamentals, doing the basic things as a, as a really solid key defender, we'll be in a really good spot. And, yeah, we've seen Dougal Howard play some good footy for long enough to know that he's got it in him and – Ross has just got to get him back there, and, and I think that he can do that. Um, a couple of final thoughts before we wrap it up. The weekly awards, as we always do. The Jason Blake Award. Phil, have you got someone for us? Yeah, this is going to be a bit of a shock to the system because I'm going for Jack Steele. And, and he had 11 tackles and 25 possessions, and everyone regards him, uh, well, at least before this season, as our only A-grade midfielder in the team. But... Uh, I said to the boys uh, off air before, if Jack Steele was a, a car with a six-cylinder engine, I reckon he's he's playing off two cylinders at the moment. I, I reckon he's playing quite injured. And so to get those kind of possessions, I think people need to actually uh, step out of the, the shadows for the moment and understand uh, how much this guy is probably hurting, how much this guy is actually doing. And so he wins my Jason Blake award because I think he's doing a tremendous effort and he's probably limping to the line of the uh, the bye. H? Yeah, I've probably got to jump back on again onto Liam Stocker. He's not getting like, any coaches' votes. He's not getting any, I guess, in the list of the best players on any media outlets or anything like that. But the role he is playing has been so important. Mm. And he, he's stepped in and played that role so well. Um, I mean, he, he quietly picked up 22 touches on the weekend, but every time he got it, he was um, quite, like, used the ball well and was picked pick the right options. That was the main thing I saw from what he was doing. Um, I remember the one possession I remember getting, he, he was about to just pick it up and boot it. And I think he just took a second thought and looked and went, no, there's a target and, and pinpointed it. And, and it opened us up and we ran down the field. Uh, he could have just bombed it down the line and who knows, it comes straight back again. But he, he just took that extra moment to look and hit the target up great. So he's very thoughtful in what he's actually doing and how he's playing. And it's picking him up for what we have, virtually nothing. He's been a great inclusion. Um, I'm going with Bradley Hill. I think he's a guy who, you know, I think we, we've we seen the best of him over the last decade and, and the flashy things that he does, the the hard-running offensive footy off the wing and, and the long goals and the pinpoint passes to, to a key forward and lots of stuff. But I feel like some of the complaints that we've seen for Brad, Brad Hill's game over the last couple of years, especially since he came to us, has been those defensive efforts and you know all those all those things uh, that we've all seen over the last couple of years. And, and I really feel like over the last couple of months, 
He's gone to another level with some of those defensive efforts, the chasing, the harassing, doesn't necessarily get a stat for it. I I think we've probably seen him smother more in the last three months than we probably have in the last couple of years. His tackling has gone to a, a, a new level. I think we've just seen a lot more effort on the defensive end from Brad Hill. I think that we kind of knew that his best footy came under, under Ross. He won a best and fairest in Frio. Um, and I think that he's getting closer to, to that. And I've been really impressed with him. And he just doesn't seem to get any plaudits for, for the improvement in that level. I think we've, we've all spoken about Naz. We all speak about Sinks. Um, you know, and, and all the young blokes coming through, Owens and Filippo and, and those guys. But Bradley Hill doesn't seem to get any kind of credit for the improvement in those things that we've been begging him for over the last few years. And just wanted to give him a bit of a shout out on that. The Shannon Knoll Award, uh, obviously at... Seven and three. Um, there's probably less criticism to go around than, than there has been for for a while. But H, what have you got uh, for the lift? Uh, it's pretty simple. As I mean, I've backed him up, but as I said, I just want to see those small improvements. And yeah, Dougal, I just want to see those improvements. We he's done. He has done very well, but it's just those little things that we need the improvement in. And he becomes the key back that we have. I mean, that's been, that's been the, I guess, the theme of tonight. But um, yeah, give a big big game to go out before the break would be really good. Phil, for those people that unfortunately didn't listen to last week's pod, uh, I am here because Darren Parkin couldn't be, and he gave the uh, Shannon Knoll Award to Dougal Howard. And uh, in his honour, I am also going to give uh, the award to Dougal Howard, echoing uh, the views that I've expressed earlier in this program, but also H's comments then. But let me say a very, very close second, and I'm saying this at risk of never being invited back on this program, has to be Nick Splitter, because anybody that can put Hunter Clark as both the Jason Blake and Shannon Knoll Award from last week's pod needs to lift and uh, split up. Uh, my eyes are firmly on you, young man. And uh, But in actuality, I'm, I'm still going with Dougal. Well, I think you need to put your hearing aid back in because I think <laughs> I made it pretty clear last week that, that the Shannon Knoll award given to Hunter Clark last week was in fact a positive because we know what he can do. We just want to see him take that next step into being an A-grade midfielder and, and the impact that that would have on our footy club certainly wasn't a negative that he had to lift, but just imagining the impact that it could have on our on our midfield. So, Phil, maybe you should get the Shannon Oll Award this week and lift and actually listen for a change. But I'm giving it to Ben Patton. I mentioned last week that I'm really concerned about Ben Patton's role and place in the team. Uh, obviously, Jimmy Webster came back and, and yeah, a little bit rusty, but but yeah, he's a very solid player. You know what you're going to get out of Jimmy Webster. And, and I think that you know, if you have to pick at their best, who gets that spot? It's Jimmy Webster over Ben Patton. Uh, obviously, we know that over the, the off-season – uh, Patton moved into the midfield group, trained on the wing, has played a bit on the wing and half back and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, and obviously, Mason Wood is ahead of him in that role. You've got Jack Sinclair, you've got Bradley Hill, you've got Nazai Wanganine Miller, you've got Matthias uh, Filippo, you've got Mitch Owens who can roll through there, you've got a bunch of guys who would probably play that role better than Ben Patton. And unless he can get that mojo back from three years ago, where he was one of the best small defenders in the competition. I really worry about Ben Patton. I think you know he came on for Owens uh, in the second quarter last week. He had seven touches, I think. He certainly didn't set the world on fire. 
Um, it's I'm just not sure what his role is in in, in the the team at the moment, um, and I really worry about what the future holds for for Ben Patton. That's so St Kilda. We haven't had as many uh, this season, um, but I have a feeling that there might be a couple this week. H, do you have one to to start off? Well, I think we're something that I found on the or came up with on the weekend and or heard before the game started. The North Sydney game was North. Mm-hmm. Almost on on the brink of taking a hundred and twenty six year old record office, and yeah, one quarter short. It just just so <laughs> happens of yeah, we'll hang on to it for a long time yet. It seems because I don't see unless yeah, Tassie come in and absolutely get belted for ten weeks in a row. On it's yeah, not going to be something that. It's going to be beaten anytime soon. I don't think so. We'll hang on to that one, and yeah hang up at the club, I reckon. Yeah, that that is very St Kilda. That's what I was going to go with as well. Phil, have you got a That's So St Kilda for us? Uh, only, uh, I mean, we all know that the Crows are at least a five-goal better side at home than they are away. But it's so St Kilda for us to have to play them when they're up and about, only to watch them uh, absolutely play like a second-rate team and be put to the sword by the Doggies in Ballarat. Well said. Well said. Before we uh, wrap up, just want to give a shout out to uh, Minnie McWalter, named the caretaker senior coach of Richmond today. Another one of Ross's favourites from back in the late 2000s, played in those grand final teams. Uh, and it was an important part of those teams, despite only really being in it for a, a couple of seasons. Um, thoughts on Andrew McWalter, Phil? Oh, look, I wish him all the best, but uh, only when they're not playing St Kilda. There's there's a bit of a St Kilda flavour at Richmond H with uh, with McWalter who's been there as as an assistant coach for a couple of years obviously now the senior coach for the rest of the season but Xavier Clark's there as as well um, what, what are they doing at Richmond at the moment I don't know it's 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 almost like a late um, hit of the reset button I think I think they may have looked at this and gone look we've got a couple of decent players in here. Brought in, yeah, um, Terrence Taranto and Hopper sort of go and look one last crack perhaps and see how it goes. But yeah, it's kind of hasn't gone right from this year, so they've gone up, all right, hit that reset switch. And I think Dima saw it coming and went, no, that, that's that's it for me. Um, and yeah, you'll go over and have a holiday. And I think I heard what was it. Someone, someone on the radio this afternoon saying, it, it, depending on how Gold Coast travel, may he had that he had that way. It's. I was just going to ask you both one or two word answer. Is Damien Hardwick coaching in the AFL next season, Phil? No, no, I reckon he has a H. break. Future, as in not next year, but maybe the year after. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, that just about wraps it up. Uh, thank you for listening, Phil. Thanks again for for joining in and stepping in for Darren. As always, appreciate your time and insight. Uh, obviously, get down to the footy on sun, on Saturday afternoon uh, at Marvel Stadium against Hawthorne. Last opportunity before the bye. Phil, what are you waving at? Well, I, I, we can't we can't finish on uh, talking about another opposition player or coach, even if he did come from St Kilda. So. What about a massive shout-out to uh, Caminetti for his uh, three-year contract because six months ago, that kid was playing in the Dookie third 18 
and uh, now he's got a three-year contract uh, as just reward for what has been a really bright start to his AFL career. We, we did mention that last week on the show, so I'm just going to say put the hearing, ba- hearing aid back in and uh, actually listen. Uh, get to the footy. Show your support. Go Saints. See you next week.